It's a debate you hear often in the running world. Which generation produced the best distance runners? Was it the 80s with Williams and McCloy? Perhaps the 70s with Dave Hill? But the conversation rarely lasts long before the 90s, early 2000s are brought up. And with them, Kevin Sullivan. Sully, as he's known, has a string of notable accolades that follow him, including four still-standing Canadian records, three trips to the Olympics, and the list goes on and on. Well, now Sully is on his way to the Canadian Athletics Hall of Fame as part of the Class of 2015, and this week, he joins us on the Terminal Mile. We'll talk his favorite races, coaching back in Michigan, and good old Brantford. This week, we also check in with the Tamarack Race Weekend in Ottawa. It's a full episode, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. This is the Terminal Mile, available via iTunes, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app, as well as tracky.ca, and on Twitter, at the Terminal Mile. My guest right now has a resume that reads a little bit like a piece of Canadian athletics history. He is a three-time Olympian, current holder of four Canadian track records, including the Outdoor 1500, Mile 3000, and the Indoor 3000. He's a 14-time All-American which includes four titles, and believe me when I say that is just a small number of his accomplishments. Kevin Sullivan, Sully as he's known by track fans, is currently the head cross-country coach at the University of Michigan and will be adding the title of Canadian Athletics Hall of Fame member July 24th in Toronto. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks, good to be here. First of all, congratulations on your spot in the Hall of Fame. Uh, what does it mean to you to finally get that spot? Well, you know, it's it's not so much a matter of being... Of- finally getting that spot because I don't think I ever I don't think even when I kind of hung up my spikes to say you know I, I it was never really an expectation um, or or a want or a need of mine I mean I felt like I accomplished a lot of good things in my career and um, you know if this is one way of recognizing those and you know I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that but it was uh, there was never an expectation that from my Point of view that I was going to be nominated or or put into the into the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, it's it, it's just one of those things that kind of you know it, it came along, and I think there's uh, there's so many great athletes that that could have been chosen before me, and so it's 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 pretty humbling to be put in there. You know, as was alluded to in the introduction, you had one heck of a career as an athlete. You know, if you had to narrow it down to just a few, what races would be the most memorable for you, and and perhaps why? Well, I mean, I think I think there's a few throughout, you know, kind of various stages of my career. Um, you know, I think certainly um, my first international medal, um, or I guess my first my first world um, international medal, which is a, a you know is a bronze at the, at the World Junior Championships. Um, in '92, in uh, in Seoul, that was kind of the that was kind of the first real big step forward um, for me um, on the international stage. Like I felt like, um, and then you know beyond that, as I moved into the senior ranks, you know winning a silver medal at Commonwealth Games in Victoria, um, you know in front of a home crowd with my dad there, uh, you know that was a pretty special moment for me. Um, you know throughout my collegiate career, I had a lot of great moments. Um, you know, from NCAA titles to, you know, finally winning a, a Penn Relays um, distance medley relay championship with, with three of my teammates um, 
from Michigan who were also, you know, some of them were my roommates. Um, you know, that was a pretty special moment for me. And then, you know, probably the, you know, the culmination of it all um, is probably the, the fifth place um, at, at the Olympic Games in Sydney. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a medal. Um, you know, it wasn't standing on the podium. But for me, it was definitely the best it was the best series of races that I had ever put together on the, on the international stage. So, um, you know, it was, that, that was kind of the, the felt like the culmination of a kind of a, a, almost a lifetime of, of hard work kind of culminating in those, those three races, um, you know, going, getting into the final, you know, and then, you know, there's obviously the Canadian records are special, um, you know, and those are, you know, but those are, those are really kind of little, smaller blips on the radar I kind of look at, uh, but the, you know, the, the real ones that stand out were the, the, the podium performances and then, and definitely the Olympic games. You know, uh, going a little bit off track, uh, for a second, but, uh, still, still related. I noticed that you posted that, uh, you still have the record for the Mayo mile. You know, are you surprised when, when you see stuff like the Canadian records and, and the Mayo mile record, uh, those records still holding up? I mean, I mean, a little bit, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I'm not naive. I understand that that you know, 3:31 for 1500 is is a is a very very respectable time still, you know, today, 15 years later, um, you know. So it's definitely it's it's not an easy mark to hit, um, and I would say that the opportunities are becoming less and less for athletes to really get into the quality needs they need to in order to to kind of challenge those times. So. You know, I think I think obviously there's there's a couple reasons why maybe it hasn't been broken yet. Um, you know, and part of it just comes down to timing. I mean, you've got to have the the right athlete at the right time in the right race, um, and everything's all got to come together on on that one day. So, you know, in a in a way, it's it's not surprising. Um, but you know, I think I think we'll see. You know, in the, within the next probably five to ten years, if it doesn't get broken, I think it's going to get challenge very closely now i don't know if you pay attention to such things but there seems to be a lot of online debate over what era produced the best canadian male distance runners and your name comes up a lot with uh, hood and Schiebler quite often in your opinion what was the best time period for canadian distance runners well i think it's i think it's difficult to to really compare across eras um you know for a number of different reasons um you know if you're looking kind of strictly from you know metal type performances, then, you know, you're probably looking more into the kid and Carruthers um, type era and, and arguing that, that that is the, the greatest era of Canadian middle distance and distance running. But if you move, you move up farther and you get into the kind of the, the early mid eighties into the early nineties, um, you know, we had a very strong group of middle distance and distance runners, um, you know, that, that competed at a very high level at, you know, Commonwealth Games, Pan American Games, Goodwill Games, um, and and then into the '90s when you kind of get into that that era where where I was in, Graham Hood was in, um, you know, you have Jeff Schiebler, obviously you got Gary Reed who's a medalist um, at the World Championship. So, you know, there's it, it's really it's really difficult to compare. Um, you know, the depth certainly wasn't as great. Um, as you go back earlier into earlier areas eras. And then, you know, as you kind of move into the mid-80s, early 90s, and, and especially into the late 90s, early 2000s, where you see this explosion and, and just huge depth of African runners, 
um, you know, it can make it really difficult because you're comparing, you know, maybe medals in the 60s to fifth, sixth, seventh final spots in in the in the 90s and the 2000s. So, you know, I think I, I think we have each era has its own strengths and weaknesses. I mean, I think you could put our era up against any other era and we would be very competitive. But I think it's too difficult to say one is who's definitely greater than the other. Fast forwarding to this era, are there any Canadian runners competing now that you especially like to watch? Well, it's it's interesting. I think we've got a really a really good group of you know middle distance runners right now across a number of events. So, you know, um, you know it's been it's been fun watching the kind of the marathoners really take off in the last few years with you know Reed Coulsett and Eric Gillis, and then on you know on the women's side, obviously Chris uh, Deshaney. And Lenny Marchand, you know, they're starting to take Canadian Marathon, you know, back to a level that that you know we haven't seen for 20 or 30 years, um, and I think that's inspiring some other, um, you know, some other athletes to, you know, to really kind of put in the 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 type of aerobic development that you really need to be successful in a marathon at an earlier age. So it's, it's been exciting to see that event kind of take off. You know, you move back into kind of the middle distances. You know, um, you know, really have enjoyed watching some of the younger guys right now. So you have, at, you know, uh, Adam Palomar, who broke the Canadian junior record a couple of years ago. Um, and then you've got um, Justin Knight, who's having a breakout season at Syracuse this year. And, um, you know, he's a guy that I think is going to be really exciting to watch over the next few years. Um, you know, on the women's side, obviously, you know, we've got a lot of great depth in the middle distances right now. You know, you look at our 800 girls, you know, being led by um, Melissa Bishop and then, you know, watching Kate Van Bustrick and um, Sheila Reed and Hillary Stellingworth coming back off of, off of her pregnancy. I mean, I think we've got a really strong group and it's really exciting to watch right now. So it's, um, it's, it's fun to be able to sit back and, and be a spectator and, uh, and a fan of, of Canadian running right now and, um, you know, and not have to be so focused on just my, you know, my own individual, individual performance goals. You grew up in uh, Brantford, Ontario, which, for those who don't know, is not a huge place, uh, but one that has given Canada some very notable sporting talent, including uh, Krista Deshaney, as you just mentioned, and Wayne Gretzky. Uh, what was it like growing up in Brantford, and how did it contribute to your running career? Well, I mean, Brantford, I mean, it's a great youth sport town. Um, there is a huge, um, a huge upswell support for for minor sports, whether it be you know hockey, soccer, track and field. Um, you know, the community is is very much rallies behind um, sport in, in in our community, and um, you know, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of good support at a young age. Um, you know, I was able to get a lot of media exposure, which was, which was nice. Um, you know, I say kind of a young fledgling athlete to, to know that you're getting recognized for the, for the work that you're kind of putting in every day. Um, you know, so it's, you know, it's, it's a community that's still, um, you know, still now, you know, 15 years after, after, you know, my Olympic games that will, you know, still ask me to come back and still, you know, wants to recognize the performances that I that I have had you know, 15 to 20 years ago. So it's um, just a really, really positive, supportive community, um, especially for for minor athletics. 
you know, you're a coach now at your old alma mater, U Michigan, uh, a school with a history of excellence in track and cross country. Talk to me about returning and uh, taking over as coach at a university like that. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting uh, six or seven months now. Um, you know, at the at the time, um, you know, I was looking for some coaching positions last uh, last summer. Um, you know, for a couple of for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, I was ready to to transition um, and um, and do some different things with my life. And um, and coaching is always a, a passion that I have had and was able to kind of follow in a more in a volunteer capacity at a couple of other institutions. And so when this job came open, um, I kind of went, I went after a pretty hard call in a, a, a bunch of resources that I, that I knew, um, you know, and was, was fortunate enough that, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, offered the position and accepted last fall. And it's, um, it's been pretty amazing. I mean, uh, I was lucky that I stepped into a pretty, um, a very quality group of, of athletes um, that were willing to buy into a new system, um, and, um, and and have really kind of taken to what what I'm trying to to preach in in training and racing and and um, and just kind of every day, you know, how you prepare for the next workout, the next day in class. Um, so it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been it's it's, it's definitely a lot different than than being on the athletic side of things, but. Um, you know, I've enjoyed myself. It's, um, you know, it's definitely, uh, it's a lot of long days. It's a lot, a lot of days on the road. It's a lot of recruiting. And, um, and that's a big thing in, in NCAA, um, in NCAA track and field is you could be, you could be the greatest coach in the world. And, uh, you know, if you don't surround yourself with, with great athletes, um, then, you know, performances usually don't come. So you spend a lot of time, trying to evaluate high school talent and figure out, you know, which, which guys are the ones that are going to develop and which ones are going to be the ones that stagnate and, uh, and always kind of looking for that diamond in the rough. So it's, uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, on that topic, when it comes to looking for the optimal student athlete outside of the obvious, uh, good running ability and being able to keep up in class, what qualities are you looking for? Yeah. I mean, and those are, those are two of the biggest things, but you know, Times typically don't lie too much, so you know we definitely look at what guys are, you know, how they are currently competing uh, in their high school careers. Um, you know, we are a, a very an extremely rigorous academic institution, so we, you know we look for great students as well. And we really have to have a a great combination of the two um, because it is getting more and more competitive on the academic side of things at the university, um, especially in terms of just trying to get athletes admitted. Um, but really, you know, you look for, you, you look for some of the intangibles. I mean, you maybe if you don't have a, you don't have an athlete with the fastest times, but they're, you know, you see a, a competitive fight and, and desire, uh, a, a, an athlete that is maybe from smaller schools that doesn't get opportunities to race against top quality competition, but is consistently winning. Uh, it's is, isn't afraid to be aggressive. So you look for, you look for things like that. You look for, um, uh, you know, you look for a, a type A type mentality when you're talking to athletes. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that they are competitive and driven and have goals um, and are not going to be passive aggressive and, and and just kind of waiting for somebody else to always tell them how to how they should do things or how they should react or what they should do. You, you know, you want guys that are willing to, one, observe and learn and be able to make decisions on their own. So, 
you know, we're looking at a lot of different things when we're looking at athletes beyond just the, you know, just beyond just the, you know, you've run this fast for, you know, this race. You know, what what has been the most uh, rewarding part of coaching for you so far? Well, I mean, I think, you know, even in the, with the athletes that I've worked with before, I mean, you know, just seeing improvement, um, seeing success in, you know, it doesn't have to be in, in athletes winning races. I mean, that's great when I have an athlete that, that wins. You know, I have I have a great athlete in Mason Furlick, who is a Big Ten champion and, you know, is ranked number four in NCAA in the, in the, in the 3,000-meter steeplechase right now. But I also have athletes where, you know, I have an athlete that, that drops five, six, seven seconds in a, in a 3K steeple or knocks 10 seconds off a 5K PB. I mean, you can get as much satisfaction out of seeing that improvement as you can out of the, the athlete that is going to be challenging for a win. So, you know, it's about, you know, sitting down with each athlete and, and really seeing, you know, where they're at, looking at what their goals are, trying to plan to improve upon those goals, and then hopefully seeing those goals come to fruition. When uh, I was doing a little bit of research for this interview, I came across Capital City Runners, and the idea really, uh, you know, it really intrigued me. Uh, perhaps could you explain what it is, and do you have any f- future ex- plans for expansion for it? Well, Capital City Runners is actually a, uh, a retail store that myself and Nate Brandon started um, down in Tallahassee, Florida, when we were both living down there. And it's kind of your, you know, it's your locally owned, um, you know, traditional type run specialty store, um, you know, basically, you know, the the local version of, uh, of a running room type type store. So, you know, what I think you find is a little bit more, you know, hands-on, a little bit more invested in the, the overall, um, you know, the local community um, and maybe some of the, some of the more corporate type uh, run specialty stores, but um, yeah, it was something Nate and I were both kind of. I was transitioning out of my athletic career, and Nate was looking for something to kind of, um, uh, kind of to have as as a as a fallback point for when his career was done. And so we, uh, you know, we took the initiative and started the store. And we've been uh, open almost five years now. And uh, you know, Nate eventually moved away and sold and sold his share of the store. You know, I still own mine and. Um, you know, I don't do much on the operation end of things, but um, but yeah, we um, took the thing from the ground up and um, have been seeing some seeing a lot of success, uh, seeing a lot of success on the retail side of things. Uh, speaking of Nate, uh, he's someone that you have worked with in the past, uh, as you just mentioned, uh, but he's also a guy who has mentioned you as being someone that he draws a lot of influence from. With Rio on the horizon for him and possibly his last Olympics, have you been you know offering any advice and do you guys keep in contact? Um, we see each other once in a while. It's, uh, we, we don't obviously with him living in Ohio now. We don't see each other as much um, as only you know when we lived a couple miles away. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, Nate's got Nate's got as much experience now as as I had when I ended my career. So you know, I'm not one that you would, would typically just go out and offer advice. I mean, I think if um, you know if he were to approach me about you know. You know, with any type of advice, or and that goes for kind of any any um, athlete, especially Canadian athlete in in his situation. Um, you know, I'm more than willing to to offer whatever whatever I have, and, and you know, hopefully it, hopefully it's helpful. But Nate is uh, Nate's lucky in that he's he's surrounded himself with um, 
he's got a great coach. He's got a lot of great advisors around him, and, um, and he's very well taken care of. And you know, he's proved that by you know by winning medals at Commonwealth and and uh, and making finals at, at World Championships. Um, you know, those are things that uh, those, those can take you a long way. Those experiences, and um, you know, I think the big thing for Nate is if he if he manages to if he stays healthy over the next year and a half. Um, then, uh, then I think he'll have a great shot to to perform well in Rio. You know, I see last year that you competed in the Honolulu Marathon. Uh, how does it compare to the shorter track stuff? And do you think that you've gotten <laughs> the marathon bug, or or no, not yet? No, I I, I don't have the marathon bug. I, I did it um, somewhat on a whim. Um, you know, I I was out there, uh, you know. As a, as a guest in the marathon and, and kind of decided at the last minute to, to run um, to, to run the whole marathon. I had planned on running part of it with uh, a couple other guys as, as part of the long run and just decided to keep going. So it was, um, it was, it was definitely interesting. You know, I, I definitely didn't, I didn't run hard enough to, to really put myself in a, in a lot of distress, um, you know, but it was the farthest I've ever run in at one time. So I, I certainly, um, I didn't feel great coming out of it, but I knew it could have felt a lot worse had I had I really pressed. So um, that, you know, for all intents and purposes, is my one and only only marathon. I don't really have any desire to do another one, to be honest. You know, with uh, NCAA championships and the Hall of Fame honor on the immediate horizon, uh, what's next for you after this? Well, yeah, we have um, NCAA championships coming up. We actually have the Big Ten Conference meet coming up this weekend. Um, two weeks after that will be the preliminary round of the NCAA two weeks after that is NCAA championships and then uh, I'll have one athlete at the USA junior championships another athlete in the USA senior championships um, and in between those weekends I'll be at, at various state meets um, scouting and recruiting um, and then uh, that, that'll take us pretty much the end of June and then uh, July um, July will be spent some will be spent on the road recruiting um, some of it will be I've got a uh, a cross-country camp that we run here at the University of Michigan, so part of July will be uh, spent doing that, and then it'll be uh, getting ready for cross-country season in September. Well, congratulations again on your uh, upcoming induction into the Hall of Fame, and uh, thanks a lot for being on the show this week. Thanks, I appreciate it. The Terminal Mile presents Interval Sessions. Ten quick questions with ten quick answers. Number one, are you a music in sort of guy on long runs? Uh, no music on runs. Number two, favorite shoe to train in? Um, uh, Brooks Ghost. Uh, number three, website that you spend too much time on. Oh, um. I hope this isn't Let's Run. No, it's probably Facebook. Uh, number four, favorite runner of all time, past or present? Uh, Sebastian Coe. Uh, number five, race that you're most proud of? Uh, Sydney Olympic final. Number six, dog person or cat person? Both, but four dogs. Number seven, favorite running movie? Uh, um, Jerry the Fire. Uh, number eight, favorite running distance? 1,500. Number nine, favorite place to train? Uh, um, I'm going to say Ann Arbor, anywhere in Ann Arbor. This is The Terminal Mile, a podcast all about competitive running in Canada. And you can find us via iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Tracky, and on Twitter at The Terminal Mile. 
And coming up on May 23rd and 24th is the Tamarack Race Weekend in Ottawa that will be playing host to both the Canadian 10K Road Championships as well as a very loaded field at the Marathon on Sunday. Here to chat about both of those is Manny Rodriguez, the Elite Athlete Coordinator for the Race Weekend. Welcome to the show, Manny. Hi, Michael. Nice to be on. First of all, wow. Take a look at the start list for the 10K. The elite field is almost 100 deep, including six of the top 25 best-ranked men in the world and many of our nation's best. With a field like that, how attainable do you feel that numbers like 2641, 3021, 2817, and 3105 are? Um, well, let's see. Attacking the numbers. Uh, so the first two, 2641, 3021, were the, uh, are the world records. That's correct, yep. Uh, with those ones, I think it's going to be a lot more of a stretch to to see that being touched. Uh, particularly the men's, the men's world record has always been done with uh, pacers, and because we don't have pacers here, it really would, uh, uh, you know, I'd be surprised if we get. Uh, uh, I'd hope we get within a minute of it, but if we get, uh, you know, within thirty seconds, I'd be extremely surprised. And the women's field, on the other hand, their world record was set uh, without a pacer. As uh, so was Paula Radcliffe going out from the front, and uh, Gladys Toronto is in really good shape this year. So, uh, again, if we can get within 40, 30 seconds, I'd be really happy. I wouldn't expect us to touch those. With the other two numbers you had, which was the uh, Canadian records, mm-hmm. um, you must have read the IAAF article because they're actually wrong. One of them's wrong. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so the 2817 is correct. That is uh, from uh, Paul McCloy. And. Uh, the 3105, unfortunately, is wrong. That is Angela Chalmers. She ran that at Vancouver, and but that's an aided course. It's been aided since, I think, 89 or something like that. So it actually doesn't count. The uh, Canadian record is 3144. Okay. And so that is one that I'm hoping that we can take down this year because we do have uh, you know, two of Canada's best, and you know Natasha did set the new Canadian 10,000-meter uh, record, so we have the right field for it. You know, the 10K is uh, one of only four gold label races in the world. How important was that designation when attracting some of the international talent for the race? Um, not as important, actually. Uh, really, the gold label is, uh, is crucial when it comes to attracting sponsorships, uh, spectators, media, in terms of understanding the, uh, you know, the caliber of the event. When it comes to the athletes, I think reputation goes a long way. Um, the fact that you are just a gold, you know, it's gold or silver label to them. It, to them, what matters is how much money is on the line, really, and that you do have a quality race. And by having the, one of the labels, you do have a quality race. So, less for the uh, the talent, more for other factors. You know, keeping with the, those international elite runners, uh, who will be the ones to really watch in that race? So for the 10K, uh, Gladys Toronto, definitely for the women's. Uh, she ran a 106 half marathon uh, end of April, so she's in top shape. It'll be who can go with her. You know, there's uh, some young talent in terms of Perez uh, Cheer. Uh There's Linus Chipkarui, who's run extremely fast times. I don't know if she's in that shape right now, but it'll be interesting to see. On the men's side, you have someone like Amos Matai. He's run, I think it's something like four out of the top eight or nine fastest times in the world for the 10K this year. You've got a couple of other guys, Nicholas Bohr, David Kogi. They've run under one hour for the half marathon. So those guys are in really good shape. I think, you know, that's that's where you're going to see some of the, uh, the racing. Looking especially at that Canadian women's field, you have, uh, as you mentioned, Natasha Wodak, uh, who just broke the Canadian 10,000 track record. You have Lanny Marchand, the Canadian marathon record holder, Krista Deshane, 
uh, coming off a really great Rotterdam marathon, Rachel Cliff and Rachel Hanna all in one race. Uh, as even just a casual fan could tell you, that's one heck of a lineup. How will they stack up against the uh, the rest of the women's field? I think they're going to stack up really well. Um, with the exception of Gladys Chirono, I think you know the Canadian women have a really good shot of making the podium this year, despite the fact we do have a very quality field. I think Gladys is sort of a... a she's shown with the 106 that she's at a, at a different level right now. Uh, but if she doesn't have a fantastic day... Or if she decides to go out a bit conservatively, then I think Canadians are going to be right in there, and it should be a really good race to watch. Likewise, on the men's side, you have uh, Eric Gillis, uh, Corey Gallagher, Sammy Jabril, and Kelly Weeb, uh, Canada's 10,000-meter champion, just to name a few. Out of that field, who do you think is uh, really going to adapt to the Ottawa course the best? I think it's going to be a race between Eric and Kelly. Uh, Eric ran the Young Street 10K in 29-12, so that is a little aided, but it still uh, you know, shows he's in excellent shape winning it. And then Kelly just went uh, dipped down to 29 minutes at the, uh, in the uh, London 10,000 uh, track meet. So I think both of those have shown that they're, they're going to be the class of the Canadian field. Um, and you know, I think it's going to be a great race to watch because if you kind of equate the track time to the road time, I think they're running about the same, uh, the same speed. Eric does have the advantage in that he's running the course a lot more times. Uh, on the topic of the course, what is the layout of the uh, Ottawa 10K course? Uh, is it a fast course or is it more challenging? It's considered a very fast course. Uh, two years ago, we were the fastest 10,000 uh, 10K course, uh, you know, ranked by I think it was all, all athletics. We were the fastest 10, 10K course in the world, and uh, you know, we had four sub 28 minute guys uh, run it, and that's without a pacer. So we're consistently, you know, one of the fastest courses in the world. And, uh, you know, that's why we get some of the people we get because they know this is a fast course. They're going to run a fast time. It kind of helps in their resume to have that down. Take a look at the marathon. You've uh, made some changes to the course this year, making it a little bit flatter, taking up some of the sharp corners. By your judgment, how much faster is this course uh, with your changes? That's hard to say, actually. Um, I think you know where we took out the hill particularly and made it slightly. Uh, I guess, well, it definitely is faster, but we took out a couple of corners. Um, it's hard to say if that's going to be a five-second or a twenty-second difference to the elites. Uh, it will make a difference. It's at a point twenty-four k into it, so it's just as their legs are starting to get a little bit tired. So making it a bit easier should make it faster. But sometimes, you know, gaining 30 seconds is more about having good competition at the end than it is, you know, it, 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 you can make the course a little bit faster. You can hope that they do it, but without the competition or without the, the will to do it, they, they won't go there. So hopefully, they, you know, it makes it easier for them. Canadian marathoner Rob Watson is set to roll. Who else is the, the Canadian contingent of marathon runners? Uh, who else is in that contingent who will be starting on May 24th? So on the men's side, we have... Uh, Rob obviously is leading the field for the men. You also have Lucas McEnany and Terence Atima, I think, are the two people to watch to uh, also try and make the podium for the Canadian side on the men. On the women's side, uh, we're looking at uh, Catherine uh, Jones, Dina Beeson, uh, and uh, after that it gets a little bit harder to say who would be one of the people to make the, uh, the podium. Who else stands out for you in the, in the marathon field? The marathon field... It's going to be, uh, I think, a fabulous race for the uh, in, in the front. 
Um, I'll just take a quick look at the times before this, and uh, I noticed that we have, I think it's 11 women uh, who have gone under the gold label standard, which is under 228. Most of those have run 225, 224, 223. We even have a 221. Um, so it's going to be a fabulous race. Obviously, in the women's, it's going to be. Uh, we've been looking for uh, Mel Camus. She's the most decorated athlete in the in the marathon, having two silver medals and uh, a bronze medal. And so she'll be the women's standout. And on the men's side, we have a couple of guys have gone 205, three guys 206. Uh, I think probably uh, Gurmeet Baranu, who won uh, Daegu, only a little over a month ago, actually. He was probably going to be the favorite, based on the fact that uh, last year we had someone do the very same thing. Yemeni uh, Tezge won Daegu and came back and won our event. So proving uh, the usual adage of you know, take six months to recover uh, wrong. These guys recover pretty quick. Hmm. For both races as the elite field coordinator, I imagine the coming week for you will be fairly hectic for, uh, with such a large elite field. Uh, besides what you have mentioned so far, what else do you have planned to ensure that the elite field runs at their, their fastest race? For that, really, um, it's making them the most comfortable. I think the biggest change we have this year for that is going to be the, uh, in the marathon in particular, is we have the water stations. We're, we're rejigging that. That's something which came back as a comment that while we had the water, you know, special elite water stations there, getting access to the bottles or recognizing their bottles, you know, those guys are running at 20 kilometers an hour. So being able to grab a bottle easily and know exactly where it is, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. So we're trying to improve that, make it easier for them to know when those stations coming up, where their bottle's going to be, um, you know, just make it that much easier for them to just focus on their race and on their hydration. To follow along with what's happening uh, come race weekend, what is the best way to do that, uh, whether it be by Twitter or video feed? Uh, well, I think the best way is going to be we have a live webcast that you can go and uh, watch both 10K and Marathon. Uh, if you're in town, you can watch Rogers. They're going to have it covered. Uh, but we will also have the Twitter giving updates as you go along if you don't have access to you know, a video feed at the time. Manny Rodriguez is the elite athlete field coordinator for the Tamarack Race Weekend in Ottawa, May 23rd and 24th. Thanks for uh, taking some time to chat with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, best of luck. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Thanks to our guests, Kevin Sullivan, as well to Manny Rodriguez. Also to Tracky for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Twitter, at the Terminal Mile. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. <laughs>